Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up at the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for pure, crisper water. And guess what? They did. Smartwater, vapor distilled for purity, electrolytes for taste. Welcome to the Eater Upsell, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is Amanda Clute, Editor-in-Chief of Eater. I'm joined, of course, by Daniel Janine. Hi, Dan. Hello, Editor-in-Chief of Eater. Welcome back from Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. Tell us about I don't think trip. anyone cares about, okay, vacations? Fine. Tell us what you went to LA for, first of all. <laughs> no way. Please, come on. <laughs> I was... <laughs> this is not what I was expecting to do. Come on. I went to this uh, personal development conference called Summit, which is a lot of parties, meetups, hangouts, like speed networking, spiritual stuff, uh, you know, getting in touch with yourself in all ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What On a you, scale what... of one to super douchey, what, what do you think? What is it? Well, it's kind of expensive mm-hmm. and it's fancy and the speakers are a lot of people who you might think are douchey. <laughs> but who inspire you? Who inspire me? Yeah. Uh, I don't have the world's nicest things to say about hanging out with a bunch of uh, San Francisco VC bros. Mm-hmm. They might be what you might call douchey. <laughs> But I'm sure there's a lot of wonderful ones. They're just like a lot. They're the whole time, you know, like, oh, what was that valuation? You know, and it's like. <laughs> How many people did you meet? Because I know what Summit is very good at is the ne- actually making sure people network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many people did you meet that were they're... starting food businesses? Uh, probably 10. Probably, 10. I probably had uh, engaged conversations with 10 people who were starting some form of food business. What do you think about that? Um, sounds good. Any what happens when you meet someone? Like, all right, here's a question for you. What happens yeah. when you're at a party and someone comes up to you and they're like, "Oh, you should meet my friend. She's starting a coconut yogurt company. Oh, Maybe you can talk God. to her and help her out." Come on, what do you do? It happens a all lot. the time. It happens yeah, all the time. How do you dodge? Or are you like, "Oh, that's so cool"? Or I, I'm totally the worst. I say like, "Oh, that's so cool." Great. What do you mean the worst? Do you, you wish you were your more honest, your your truest form? Of I yourself? wish I was more honest. What would you really say? I don't I don't care. care. <laughs> I don't. I 100% don't care. <laughs> yeah. It's tough because I think a lot a lot of people especially now and a lot of people who are associate this wing at least uh at least on the surface are doing these things for a lot of good reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh I don't I find it tough to get excited about like the 10th vegan ice cream. Yeah. Ah, oh, vegan ice cream. We got we got Van Leeuwen. it's enough. It's, yeah, we're good. We're done. We don't need more. That's fascinating. What are the other what are the anyway, other things? So, what are the other things that people come up to you and like what besides food products are people like, "Oh, I'm starting a winery" or like I uh, have a jam business. It's or, always food products yeah. or food um blogs or media sites will you, or something. Will they say like, "Hey, can I reach out to you? Like, can I when it, when we launch or can we send you a press pack?" Yeah, that's fine. That's always fine. You'll say yes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like I don't want to go. The hardest is when they get when like you a get the email. Ooh, you don't want to get a coffee. <laughs> you got a coffee with me. Yeah, that was I got how it. I, I did get a coffee with you. That was the start so, of my eater career. So it's you know it's a good lesson that sometimes you should get the coffee or shouldn't. <laughs> I shouldn't. <laughs> anyway, so you started this. Now we're going to talk about my vacation <laughs> no, no, no. forever. So, so you 
we're in LA. You went to Summit, and you don't keep. I, you don't have to say it every time. You can just say I was in LA at this point. You I, were in LA at Summit, and I thought it would be a good idea to just have this whole episode be about LA. Yeah, because why not? There's so much to talk about with LA. So much to talk about, and uh, this actually, I just want to quickly say that this how uncomfortable I feel right now. I feel like we are even because you admitted that you were a fifty cent tipper. And uh, <laughs> someone reached cent. out to me on Instagram and was like, boy, that's like, ooh, damn, how can someone who how can is, she live with herself? sits atop the food media landscape <laughs> be a 50 cent tipper? You know what? I think honest, I think people some... misinterpreted it a bit, though. But go hmm. on. Sorry. What do you mean? I think people took it as to say that you were not a tipper and you were not a tipper like elsewhere. What I do, think. What do you mean people? I got was... a couple messages about it. Really? And we how got many? a review on pod, on the podcast. Oh, my God. What did they say? Do you want me to read the review? No, no, no. no I, I don't. I don't. Okay. No, I'm a gen- just, I'm a generous tipper in my life. In restaurants, yeah. It's just the Oh, you're lucky. I was hoping to keep bashing you for this, but you're clearing barista. it up now. It's yeah, the barista situation so. that has confused me and that I I don't and I was saying it's a controversial choice. Yeah. And especially with something like the sommelier, you weren't saying you're not down for the 30% or the 20%. No, you're just I'm saying just, you I'm just bringing it up. And you want someone else to decide the rules. Just for want you. someone to tell me what to do. Yeah. But no, I, I, I tip the sommelier a lot. I tip the bartender a lot. The yeah. person that I'm under tipping you don't potentially, know. Yeah, potentially is the barista when I give my 50 cent tip <laughs> on a cold $4 cold brew. Yeah. I also, but again, go on. they just pour it into a cup. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I also like that I was the good guy in this where I was just like, I am an idiot. Like, I am clearly overspending. I will again say, reckless with your money. <laughs> no, no, no. In tipping <laughs> scenarios. That's what we got to last time, and that is the point I'm happy settling on. Anyway, uh, should we talk about Los Angeles? Yeah, let's talk about L.A. So here's where we're going to do this episode. Matthew Kang, who is the editor of Eater Los Angeles, Eater L.A., is going to call in to talk to us about some openings, and then he's going to talk to us about the food media landscape out mm-hmm. there. And then next up, Farley Elliott, who is Eater LA's senior editor, took me around to what he deemed as the three hottest restaurants in the city. We kind of rolled around in his car and checked in in between on on some mics that I set up in uh, in, a, in a Los Angeles vehicle. Great job. Uh, and then we're going to bring on Megan McCarran, uh, our special correspondent who you've heard from before on the show, and Farley Elliott to talk with us about the platform, which is this crazy development in Culver City that fascinates me for a number <laughs> of reasons and makes me feel like uncomfortable in a lot of ways. Really? Yeah. Great. I so I don't want to give it away. All right, great. I, I hope it makes you as uncomfortable as it makes me talking about Summit. Cool. Okay, so on this L.A.-themed episode of The Upsell, we figured we had to call Matthew Kang, our Eater L.A. editor, to find out what's going on in the L.A. food scene. Hi, Matt. Hi. How are you? So I I go to L.A. a few times a year, but I never feel like I'm up to date enough on what's going on. So I was just hoping you could let us know, like, what are the big openings this season that we should know about? What just opened that we should know about? What's, What's big and new in L.A. right now? Man, LA is so crazy. I thought a lot about this and it's been such an incredible year of openings. There have been so many good places uh, that I can't even keep track. But I, th- I think most recently, most people are really excited about um, Simone, which is from a first time, uh, sh- I guess, restaurateur slash chef, Jessica Largy, who used to be the chef de cuisine at the three Michelin star Manresa. 
in the Bay Area. And this is sort of her first solo venture. She came down after winning the James Beard Awards. And, uh, oh, no, my wife's calling me. How do I make this go away? <laughs> Swipe down Rochelle, to reject. Rochelle, not right now. Yeah. Swipe down to reject. Okay. So um, that is a really exciting restaurant because it's taken two, nearly two years to open. And wow. it's just hotly anticipated. And people, I think, were really thinking, okay, is this, you know, really, um, you know, experienced and just like really talented chef going to really shake up the game in LA. And I think, unfortunately, it just, it just hasn't, um, you know, a lot of the earlier reviews have been pretty solid, like, okay, this is good. But like, it seems the place lacks a really solid perspective because I think a lot of the bigger openings in LA places like major domo places like dialogue places, like uh, Bavel, um, they kind of come forward with this really strong point of view that's either uh, based in an international cuisine or based in some sort of like fine dining ideology. Um, and Simone sort of feels like this catch-all place that has a little bit of new American elements, like this a lot of seasonality and a lot of kind of fermentation techniques. Um, but because it kind of lacks that clear, this is what we are, um, I think it's going to have a little bit of a tougher time resonating with, um, I think, Angelino Palace, because people in L.A. are like, we want to know what something is within five words. Hmm. And we want to be able to experience the breadth of what this restaurant's doing within a few bites. So that flavor needs to hit like right away. There's that lack of like subtlety that I think you get from a from some other cities where they, you know, I think we talked about this, Amanda, like in New York, I feel yeah. like some of the flavors can be a little softer or you could say it's you more call subtle. it, you call it New York soft. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the Kang phrase for it. New York I, soft. I just think like LA palettes are kind of blown out. You know, you get a lot of people eating tacos and Thai food and Korean food and these flavors that just have so much, you know, kind of umami and salt and mm. acid that if you try to do something that's a little more restrained, then it kind of ends up being lost. Um, Interesting. And, you know, that being said, I think a contrasting opening that's coming up within this month is another um, woman-owned restaurant, which is uh, Maylin Nightshade. Maylin, one top chef, uh, I think two or three years ago, and she's been kind of traveling around and trying to figure out what kind of place she wants to open. And she's also opening a restaurant in the Arts District in L.A. It's going to be a super hip location. Um, but her food is like, I'm doing sort of like what I think is sort of comfort food, really addictive, really craveable food, but with a heavy like Chinese-American and Asian tint. Mm. And I think that's really going to work with people. I think that's sort of what David Chang did with Major Domo. Like it's basically a Korean-ish place. And I think this nightshade is going to be a sort of Chinese-esque place. And people understand those flavors. People like them. And um, I've, I've gotten the opportunity to sample a bunch of the preview dishes and nearly every single dish, like she made eight things and every single one of them blew me away. I was like, wow, that's delicious. That's super good. People are going to love this. It's a beautiful dish. Um, so I, I think that I'm, I'm really excited about that. I think it's going to be a little bit of a contrast to Simone because Simone is a little bit more restrained. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just, I, mm -hmm. I'm skeptical about 
you know, whether people are going to latch onto Simone as much as they will, like a nightshade or as much as they have to places like Major Domo or Bavel. What about, I noticed you guys are getting a lot of Japanese imports. I mean, I guess that's always the case, but I saw that Apudo's just opening in Santa Monica right now. I think you have some other ramen imports. Yeah. I mean, you know, Japanese food is really strong. We, we actually, if you want to talk about imports, we just had, I was going to talk about Chateau Hanare, which came from the N Brasserie restaurateur. Oh. And that opened, um, it was a very quiet opening, uh, but it opened on kind of the property, the Chateau Marmont property. And, you know, it's a beautiful, elegant, sort of upscale Japanese place that apparently like Leonardo DiCaprio has been there six times. (laughs) Of course. If you want to see Leo, then that's the place to go. Um, But, you know, kind of from a more serious food perspective, um, there's this another really underrated kind of unsung omakase restaurant called Hayato that opened in the arts district and it has six seats. I mean, it's just, it's super high end. It seems really awesome. Um, I haven't even been in yet because it's a little, a little expensive. How much? I think it's like 200 a person. And you know, the chef is like this Japanese, I think he's like Japanese and and American. So like half, he's a hapa, but just doing like really beautiful, elegant, like upscale um, sushi and that kind of stuff. Um, and then even lo- lower down the scale, like Ipudo, which is, you know, definitely one of my favorite ramen shops in New York City um, to open here in in L.A. is it's, it's, it's exciting. And it's already blown up our chart beat right now. Oh, really? Yeah. I was wondering, because sometimes um, in a city like L.A. where there's so much competition, I, I wonder if people will care about a brand name like Ipudo. But I guess they do. Um, you know, I think us writing world famous. In the headlines, all <laughs> <with> us, uh, <laughs> you're giving them a little boost. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I also think it's true. I, I you know, I, I'm sorry, but I don't think New York ramen is that great. Uh, I just, I'm sorry, like it, it's kind of behind I mean, LA. You're right. LA does have an amazing ramen. It might, probably has the best ramen scene in the country. Um, so, for Ipudo to come here, I think is good. It's a, it's a validating thing. Like, hey, you know, it this big Japanese chain that's open in, in a, in a big city like New York is, is ready to compete in, in LA. So it's, it's a good validation for LA's dining scene. Same question about the, the high-end omakase. You guys have so many omakase restaurants there. Do you think this new six seater will stand out? Yeah, I think, you know, it, with, uh, even with Ennaka, I think it took them nearly a year to really get some, attention and then finally the netflix thing came out and then now they have a three-month waiting list which is very rare for la like getting reservations in la is not difficult unless Mm -hmm. you're like in the you know top 10 you know places like republic or bestia or bavel or majordomo so for i mean this place is going to have it has six seats it's going to be hard to to land a reservation at prime dining times i think that the word of mouth here is so strong i think word of mouth is ultimately the the best um gauge of success uh and of course Mm -hmm. this happens with any city but i think that people in la are less like i guess the the long-term success of a restaurant you can feel it immediately if you ask anybody and you can gauge like how they feel about it you can almost go like yeah that place is going to do well like when um like when major doma opened i was a little skeptical because i'm like oh david chang coming to la like you know i've I didn't honestly have the best experiences and, and sentiment about his restaurants based on what I had tried in New York. 
And, um, you know, I was thinking people in L.A., they know their Asian food, they know their Korean food. How are they going to react? And I just kind of waited. I just wanted to see how people either online and forums on, on whatever, and just even just casual people always text them and be like, okay, how did you like Major Domo? And by and large, people were like, man, this is awesome. I love it. I can't wait to go back. And that is hopefully going to propel, you know, the smaller omakase places and the newer restaurants. Um, and, and, and from a counterpoint, like a place like Simone, it's from what I've heard, I have not heard a single person go like, I was blown away by it. I can't wait to go back. Mm. It was a great experience. Most people were like, yeah, it was good. It was fine. You know, yeah. and, and that's, ugh, that's, that's hard to hear. Uh, Switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about the L.A. food media scene. Uh, Can you update our listeners on what is going on with the L.A. Times right now? Yeah, so the Times is very interesting. Um, Jonathan Gold, unfortunately, he he passed away suddenly this summer, and he was such an incredible influence. He certainly influenced my writing career and um, was an inspiration for anybody who, who loved eating in this city. And so when he passed away, I think the, it was kind of around the same time that the Times was being acquired by um, Patrick Xiong. And actually, I, I think I butchered his name, but he's just basically a billionaire dude who bought the mm-hmm. Times for a ridiculous amount of money. And then he like moved the offices. They had this amazing like Art Deco office space in downtown L.A. next to City Hall. And then he moved it to this kind of big, bland building in El Segundo, like another it's not even like in the city of los angeles anymore um and you know now they have a a bunch of infusion of capital and they're starting to hire talent so what they announced is that they're going to be hiring a new food editor and then they Mm -hmm. said restaurant critics like plural so they're going to be hiring at least two critics um and they haven't announced any of those hires yet but they have already announced that there are bringing on Peter Meehan, who used to uh, run Lucky Peach, and he's mm-hmm. going to be their contributing editor. So he's going to be sort of like, I guess, freelancing-ish, like kind of bouncing between L.A. and New York. But that's still just an immense talent uh, coming to L.A. And I've heard rumors of other well-known people joining. I, I'm not privy to say, unfortunately. Mm. But I do know that they are looking to beef up the staff there. And I think that's important because I, I think that from a from a food section point of view they this the LA times have kind of languished for years uh not that they were bad i'm not trying to bring them down or whatever but i think that it was just in this funk because mainly because of their the paper's previous ownership trunk right uh, which was just this kind of corporate mess and i think they're still dealing with the, the mess that trunk left like in their transition from um, their ownership to this new billionaire guy's ownership um but you know they're very committed to growing um their presence here and it's going to be you know it's good competition for us uh certainly i think the times has a sort of legal approach and and they they uh, when they they do food they they're a little more kind of multifaceted they have recipes and they have a test kitchen like all that stuff so mm-hmm. I, i'm very curious i i'm 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 happy to see it come back because i mean i grew up reading the times food section and opening it up every Thursday and, and just being excited for whatever they want, we're going to cover. So that's, yeah. And I, I feel like over the last couple of years, like you and I have together complained about this, about how the LA food media scene just doesn't live up to what's happening in the restaurant world. So like we're out there all the time, but the, 
there are a lot of publications that have kind of diminished over the years, and it felt almost unfair to Los Angeles for that to be happening. Yeah, you know, I think LA's media scene is just, it's not New York. I mean, New York is the seat of media in the country, and LA is the second largest city and deserving of nearly as much media attention. But, you know, it's, it's also just Hollywood. So that, that kind of media attention goes toward celebrity culture and whatnot and entertainment. Um, that's why you have publications like Variety and The Hollywood Reporter. They're very strong, and they are now delving into the restaurant space because they see how relevant it is and how mm-hmm. much of a need mm-hmm. there is. Uh, but, you know, you have publications like The Times that were kind of like languishing from their their previous ownership. And then LA Weekly, which basically imploded and got acquired by some, you know, very politically motivated people. And they were met with a ton of resistance. Um, LA Magazine had new ownership and they're kind of in this very nebulous phase of like they're certainly not really growing and blowing up. But they're, you know, they're still doing solid, solid work in terms of reporting. Um, and then you had other sort of new media organizations like Thrillist and Urban Daddy uh, and Grub Street, which used to have their own operations here. And now they've all kind of they've all kind of gone away. Um, mm. So, yeah, I really think that more coverage and more people writing about restaurants is, is going to grow the actual scene. You don't you don't just want to have one one or two publications dominating it. Um even though I, you're not enjoying domination. I, you know, I'm selfishly. It's boring. You know, <laughs> well, it's just it's not exciting because, and also it's limiting because we have a limited staff. It's not like we have people all over, and yeah. you, you know, you need to have more voices and more people and more perspectives so that it kind of, it just kind of gives more color and makes this beautiful kaleidoscope of the, the restaurant scene. And you want to fight for fight for those scoops? Oh yeah, I mean that's like that that chase is the most exciting thing. You know, like going to restaurants, like peeking into and trying to pull down the paper to see what's happening inside. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's just classic eater. You know, that's what makes me that's excited the joy. to do my job. <laughs> you know, like having people run after you, scolding you for taking pictures and running away. And that, that, that's like, to me, that's what, that's the, that's the heart of what eater is. Uh, and so, yeah, I want more of that. Well, Matthew King, thank you for filling us in on what's going on with the LA food scene. We'll check in again next year. Yeah, of course. Thanks for calling. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up at the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for pure, crisper water. And guess what? They did. This is the kind of water that regular water gets jealous of. It's the water that refreshes like no other brand. Try it. Smartwater. Vapor distilled for purity, electrolytes for taste. Dan, what is next in our L.A.-themed episode? So now that we've heard from Matt Kang about what restaurants are buzzing in L.A., I was actually, since I was actually in L.A., I got Farley Elliott, who is Eater's, Eater L.A.'s senior editor, to take me to a curated dining night where we went to his, what he what he sees as the three most uh, the three trendiest restaurants right now. I'm not going to say they're the best, but the three restaurants that he sees are that are that he sees the hot as spots. the hotspots. Yeah, and so you know we grabbed some microphones, we sat in his car, we kind of roamed around. Um, it's a little, you know, I Far- Farley has amazing takes about it. He he and Matt understand L.A. in a way that like. I was like, hey, I'm going to go learn about L.A. dining for a weekend. And it's like, wow, there's a lot to learn. And these guys know. They're the masters. <laughs> yeah. I'm with L.A. senior editor Farley Elliott. Hey, Farley. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining me in my Subaru. <laughs> it's very clean. Oh, well, I like to keep it tidy. <laughs> uh, 
What restaurant are we going to first? Bavel, which is in the Arts District. It's the follow-up restaurant to the Bestia team, Ori Manash and his wife, and it's a really great modern Middle Eastern restaurant. We walked by, and we could hear their pre-service shouts. Mm-hmm. They just, I think... Like, I'm scared. They take this shit a little bit, maybe even a little bit more seriously than they do in New York. How many people would you say were waiting on the sidewalk to go in to eat at the restaurant because they didn't have a reservation beforehand? Probably 20. Yeah, 20 people. At 5 p.m.? At 5 p.m. On a Tuesday, And the same is true at their other restaurant, Bestia, and a bunch of other restaurants down here. How do you envision this? Do you think we're going to try, like, a few things, get a drink, come back to the car, wrap up, talk about our next place? Yeah, for me, I sort of envisioned it as as this idea that rather than, uh, you know, book an hours long meal at one place and then and we get to go pop in at the bar have a few bites and just sort of survey the scene who's there what the place feels like get a little bit of an idea of the food and then move on and what's really interesting for me is you know i'm not going to give too much away now but we'll go to a few different restaurants in one night and i'll actually get to show you how close and condensed this amazing new modern restaurant movement is in los angeles i mean it's separated only by a couple of miles and in some cases just a few feet okay interesting so even if we could teleport between places these mm-hmm. are still the three places you would choose. I think so. You know, I might convince you to get a late night taco bite in afterwards just to really round out. But otherwise, I'm happy with where we're at. Okay, Farley, stop one. Can you explain to me how, like, explain to me the relevance of... So to understand Bavel, you've got to very briefly understand the restaurant that came before, which is Bestia. Bavel is the second restaurant by Ori Ash and Genevieve Gurgis. And Bestia is probably the most successful restaurant of the past six to 10 years in Los Angeles. Oh, so, really? Really, really? Yes. Like 600 covers at night on a Saturday, made all its money back and paid its investors back in the first year. That kind of just anchor arts district restaurant that was the first thing to be cool in a new neighborhood. And now with Bavel, they've done it again, but more <laughs> food that's close to home. It's Middle Eastern. It's got Lebanese and Egyptian influence. And it is still a line out the door waiting at 501 for bar seats and and just beautiful food, open hearth cooking, and great, great produce, which is what California truly excels at. We just came out, and like I, I was pretty, pretty, pretty blown away by that by that food. We had a foie gras halva that you dip this toast in. I think at one point I turned to you and you're like, "Why are you eating so much? Like, have you ever done a food crawl before? <laughs> have you ever done a food crawl, bro? Like, you ever you know anything about stamina?" Uh, and I was like, "Dude, this is like one of." One of the best things I've ever, ever eaten. I just, I think what I'm so trained in New York to not expect a larger restaurant to be able to produce good food. Like I see that place and I'm like, oh, I've seen restaurants this size, this many chefs in Vegas Mm -hmm. or like in... I was actually very struck by that when you brought it up because I just had dinner at uh, lunch, I should say, at Frenchette in New York not that long ago. And I was struck by how small that restaurant is. Because Frenchette in New York... Seems to me a big restaurant. Right. Yeah. And it is small by L.A. comparisons. We are just doing food at volume here because we've got the space, especially in neighborhoods like the Arts arts District where Bavel is. I mean, I know this is just one time that we've been there, but holy shit. Like, what a, yeah, pretty mind-blowing experience. And now... Did you expect this reaction? I think Bavel is the best new restaurant to open in Los Angeles this year. I am not at all surprised that you are as taken with it as the rest of the city seems to be. It's yeah, but a, they don't know shit. <laughs> it's a real lesson in simplicity. You got this, like, you know, amazing, just barely blistered tomato with feta cheese and olive oil, and it's just, like, the best version of a tomato cold dish that you could possibly want. And, and L.A. really kills at that. And the chef 
comes over and talks to you about how it's, you know, grown on these vines in the Santa Cruz mountains that get dusted with like ocean mist in the mornings. It's like the most possible California thing, but it really, truly works. What I'm interested in. I think in, he said a mist of hydration or yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah. And we all just fell out of our chairs onto a bed of daisies. Uh I'm very interested as a segue into restaurant number two to get your take because Bavel and Bestia are flavor bombs. They are big, rich restaurants that want to pack in a bunch of different ingredients and levels of heat and spice and smoke and salt. The next restaurant, which I'll give away now, is Simone by Jessica Largi, is a very, very different restaurant. It plays with California produce, but in a much more refined, beautiful, and subdued, thoughtful way. So I'm interested to see if you appreciate the nuance or if you leave Simone thinking that there wasn't much to it. And who is the chef? Jessica Largi. She used to be the uh, chef de cuisine at Manresa and James Beard winner, a really amazing, amazing chef, and has been working on this project for a couple of years. It's got some big money Hollywood backers. It's a truly beautiful space. And it's only about a four minute walk from the Arts District. Yes, we do walk between restaurants in the Arts District. We just got out of Simone, our second restaurant. Do you want to give us a little recap on our experience there? Really, really beautiful restaurant in the Arts District, built from scratch. Took about two to two and a half years to come together. A lot of Hollywood money behind it, but it's a really well done, beautiful kind of explainer on California produce. It's way more subtle than a lot of great LA restaurants are, and so in that sense, I think some of it can get lost in translation, but I'm eager to hear what you think. So I, I want to say that I don't think like we had enough, whereas at Bavel, I feel like we really got a sense of the food there mm-hmm. from our from our three or four dishes. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think we had smaller things at Simone. You know, we were slowing down. Uh, I will say though that the food, in comparison to Bavel, did seem muted um, and did seem. Yeah, I mean, it's like what you said. It just had. It didn't have as much of a. It didn't have much of a boom. Well, part of the reason I wanted to take you there too is because this is a brand new restaurant by LA standards. You know, it's just a, a couple of months, if not a couple of weeks, old. And so, while it took a long time to build out and has had a media presence for a long mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. actually getting in and eating the food has not been happening for that long. And so, I think Largi is going to find more of herself in the kitchen of this restaurant as time goes on. We're also talking about a real changing of the seasons, which is very very specific to Los Angeles. She came on right at the end of summer into fall, and the produce that we're getting is completely different from even a couple of weeks ago. So what you are going to start to drill down into is a more specific look at the restaurant if we were to check back in a year. But it is important to check in now just Mm -hmm. to understand versus New York or any other major city what it's like when restaurants are at the cusp of just having opened in this big, booming city. And now Major Domo is really going to bring it home because of a true chef element. That's right, folks. Major Domo, David Chang, we're walking in, and if they don't get us a bar seat, I'm going to lose my mind. Why Major Domo? Like, are you confident that plate by plate, this is as good as LA has to offer right now? I think if you are having a conversation about the best restaurants in Los Angeles, Major Domo needs to be in that conversation. I personally would put Bavel at the top of that list, but I'm not the person in Los Angeles who inarguably would think that David Chang does not belong on this list. So, you know, I think it's really 
interesting to look at David Chang through the lens of New York, through the lens of Australia, Las Vegas with his big property there, and then to come to Los Angeles and have something that is inarguably Korean and feels like maybe his most personal restaurant yet. If you go in, as we will, it's a very bustling restaurant still. If Chang's there tonight, he'll be taking a ton of selfies with people and there's big, large format meats on carts, but it's a slowed down version. You're not elbow to elbow with somebody on a terrible stool like you would be in New York City, and I think that's a good thing. Okay, so you think that what Chang brings to the table works well with what L.A. can offer in terms of space. Absolutely. And, and vibe. And if the vibe is exactly right, you will look at this place and understand immediately that it is a restaurant for Los Angeles, built in Los Angeles, for a crowd of Angelinos that actively look for this type of thing. We are, we are finished with our final meal, maybe final meal of the night, from Major Domo. What did you think of our meal at Dave Chang's? Uh, recent LA outpost. Well, I have to say, I tried to play a pretty particular little bit of baseball with ordering here by actually ordering the uh, noodle sort of macaroni take uh, with the chickpeas that is so famous from Nishi in New York, and as well as a few kind of... His restaurant, Nishi. Yes, his restaurant in New York, Nishi, as well as a, a bit of what I think he does so well in Los Angeles. And so we had the Bing with the roasted pork as well as pineapple. It's kind of a take on an Alpastor taco. And it just, to me, everything that we ordered felt like a cross-cultural connection between what he's doing now in L.A. and what he's always been doing. And I'm interested to hear if you agree. Yeah, I agree. I think it's the most lively Dave Chang food I've had. It's funny because I love Sambar, which is his New York restaurant in the East Village, but it has it has a New York hustle, I think, that this doesn't. Mm -hmm. This has more refinement. You certainly, with this restaurant, feel like you're in a larger Dave Chang space. Yeah, I mean, it's got a similar square footage to the Vegas outlet. But yeah, it's huge. Vegas is a greatest hits. This is something much more personal. For sure. Um, I love this restaurant. I mean, I would go here all the time. It's... It, it, it's funny because it feels like, although it, it is more personal in its food, it's probably, it feels to me like his most uh, out-of-the-box accessible restaurant. Mm -hmm. Wow, is that a coyote? What was that? Anyway. It probably was. This yeah. is Los Angeles. Let me ask you this. At every place that we went, we uh, sat at the bar. What do you think about that as a style of, it, by the way, the coyote turns out to just to be a very large cat. Huge, the biggest cat <laughs> I've ever seen. What, what do you think about the style of Los Angeles dining that we embarked on tonight, which is it's just to style. go sit at the bar? By style, I mean you mean that you not having your act together soon enough to make <laughs> reservations at three spots. Yeah, but here we call it a vibe. Yeah, vibe. I mean, I, I, I love that. I think that it we should. it's important to say that like L.A. restaurants are clearly – both thinking about the bar in a way that New York isn't aren't and have the opportunity to put in a huge amount of walk-in space. Right. I love that. I never have my shit together. I'm always walking in a restaurant and the more options I can have walking in, especially when it's like, would you like the bar or the chef's counter? I'm like, wait, you'll have me? You know, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. And that has something to do with just the scale at which Los Angeles operates. To your point, you know, David Chang's restaurant is is hundreds of seats large here in Los Angeles, which is not the case at the original Noodle Bar mm -hmm. or a lot of his other places. And so we do have the luxury of, of operating at a certain scale where you can get in. Now, you know, on a Saturday night, is Bestia still going to be a two hour wait? Absolutely. But for even the hottest places in town, there's ways to do it. And I think that that bodes well for the city. It shows that we are managing all of the new restaurants. Now, before I give my sort of final take, can I ask you, of the three, Bavel, Simone, Majordomo, 
which was your favorite? I have not had food like Bavel in a restaurant setting ever before. And for that reason, I would say it was my favorite. But I think, I think the most, there is like the most fun to be had at Major Domo. Yeah, the vibe is certainly the most active and engaging. But the reason I asked about your favorite from a food perspective is because Ori is, is really a truly homegrown talent when it comes to Bavel here in Los Angeles. And so as much as we have been getting an influx of great chefs doing great things from other cities like Dave Chang, it is really, really important that we continue to recognize the folks that have been here, been doing it, been working their butts off, and still draw a crowd. And I think Ori's Restaurant Bavel is the best new restaurant of this year in Los Angeles. And it's a type of dining and a style of food that we have really come to embrace in this city. And it makes it, for me, one of the best, if not the best dining city in America and one of the best in the world. For the next segment of our LA-themed episode, we are bringing on... Uh, two of our LA-based editors, Farley Elliott and Megan McCarran, you've heard them on the show before, to talk about a little development called The Platform. Uh, Megan, since this is right smack dab in the middle of your neighborhood, do you want to explain what The Platform is? Sure. Um, in my neighborhood, I live in Culver City. There is uh, a, new, a new-ish rail stop on the expo line, and that rail line doesn't really go through, like, existing town centers or anything that in Los Angeles, it's using like an old freight right of way. So what LA is doing is incentivizing development all around these rail stops to make them into like little town centers in Culver city. The first and biggest manifestation of that is this shopping complex called platform. And it's very designed. It seems like open, you know, there's like, very high-end outdoor furniture scattered everywhere, you know, giant, beautiful succulents. Uh, A lot of the buildings are kind of this, like, modular and almost look like shipping containers, but are not. There's some, like, public art installations above the parking garage, you know. It's, like, very slick, very stylish, and it's full of very high-end businesses, um, especially for Culver City. Um, Culver City has become a very expensive neighborhood to at least buy a house in in Los Angeles, but it doesn't really have the kind of glitzy, you know, um, shopping the way somewhere like Abbot Kinney or like even, you know, parts of Santa Monica or or increasingly Silver Lake would have. So there's like a blue bottle. There's um, a bunch of fancy boutiques that sell an ambiguous collection of things that may be clothing or maybe home decor. (laughs) And um, the Sweetgreen headquarters is there. That's the big anchor. And there's been a collection of restaurants, um, you know, one of which has already shuttered. um, And uh, now there's also a... Uh, the West Coast location of Roberta's. Yeah, it's kind of the collection to me seems like catnip for like yuppie older millennials. Yes, like Aesop and Soul Cycle, Sweet Green. There's like a acai bowl place. You can get a glass of orange wine there. Uh, and now oh, Reformation, the LA Reformation. clothing brand. Yes. Amanda, you hate all those brands, right? <laughs> well, what it it brings up a lot of self loathing in myself <laughs> because I love all of those things, and they've never been presented to me altogether in this way. Where I realize, like, oh my god, what have I become that I love all of these 
and they're here in this mall, and I have to get away from this. Yeah. Uh, and then the the Roberta's edition, I think, is really interesting as well. Yeah, I think, you know, there's this sort of interesting thing, like, if you are a millennial in your mid-30s, as many millennials are, and, you know, especially if you're sort of white, you grew up in you know, a suburb where like you were sort of turned off by the blandness of it and the mallness of it. Then you move to the city, you start, you know, working in media and, you know, you're like, oh, this cool place called Blue Bottle. Let's all go check it out. And like, you just see it all curated just for you. And you realize like you are the white yuppie that you were trying to escape the whole time. It's just now you have like slightly better coffee is <laughs> it's the like- horrified feeling that I have anyway when I go in there. Yeah, it's too too real what you just said. Uh, it's <laughs> too real. <laughs> well, I think for me, the addition of Roberta's like is the icing on the cake because I lived near Roberta's for 10 years and it opened and it was so cool and I thought I was cool and it grew up into this this thing that represented Brooklyn dining and now it's in this yuppie mall. <laughs> it's just like, oh God, what what is left? I was just in Vegas and the second floor of the Cosmo Hotel has Milk oh. Bar, Momofuku, I think Hattie B's. It's got egg slut. And I just feel like I was walking through and I was like, I hate this like I hate the all-star game. It's just, it just all dunks, no defense. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, so there is this feeling of being pandered to, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But that's their, I mean, that's their job. Farley, what's your take on Roberta's? <laughs> I, I was going to say, like, it, it's such an interesting dichotomy. First, let me say, like, Platform is, is one of the first places I've ever seen where the reality of it it actually looks like the renderings that the developers put together. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it really is just like moody, well-shaded people on laptops under trees. It's very surprising. <laughs> um, but the Roberta thing is such a funny little confluence of moments in Los Angeles where we've got so many New Yorkers that are moving out here, so many restaurateurs from New York that are moving out here. And, you know, my job primarily at Eater LA is to get to this, this sort of information first, these openings and stuff. And, and Roberta's, we knew we were coming for a long time and they just wouldn't talk to us. And then I finally got them to sit down and they're like, we're just two cool guys from Brooklyn. Like, we don't really know what we're doing. Isn't that cute? And I'm like, y'all are at the platform. Chill out. Right. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't it doesn't need to be this, like, Bushwick thing anymore. You already agreed to go here. Well, I remember when they were first looking at L.A., there was a big rumor that they were going to go to the Ace Hotel. Or no, it was the Standard Hotel, the one in Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. And that was even, that even seemed like a sellout moment for them but they didn't do it and so this for this to happen to go in this mm-hmm. like Culver City Mall wait so is the call here that this is the least cool place they could have opened <laughs> no I mean there's much less like they could have actually gone into like the Beverly Center or something which is redeveloping with a ton of restaurants <laughs> that's like, like an actual mall yeah they could have gone into a dying mall like they're at least at like the transit oriented you know new mall um when you sat on the patio at Roberta's in Culver City, you were literally looking up at a balcony for a soul cycle. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think some of it speaks to just the, the commodification of, of every neighborhood and every sort of uh, new development project that's happening in Los Angeles right now. Everyone wants a cool anchor restaurant that they feel is going to represent them and take them out of the morass of other developments. But unfortunately, 
these places like Westfield Century City or the Beverly Center, they don't actually get the great tenant because those people are smart enough to hopefully stay away or make a better business deal elsewhere. So if you're reverted, I guess the positive side is like you're right by the transit center, like Megan said, and you get a ton of foot traffic. But the optics of that, if you're trying to be this cool Brooklyn thing, I think are just so silly especially if you continue to complain about it in public. And maybe it, there's, it's just this sort of shock now, and then everyone will chill out about it a little bit. Like, there is this other development um, kind of catty corner from Platform where they've remade um, the old Helms Bakery into another, like, fairly, you know, pricey, you know, little development, like many giant furniture stores with expensive furniture. And then there's a father's office, and, like, Father's Office, you know, was a really groundbreaking L.A. restaurant and a tiny, you know, sort of spot in Santa Monica. And now he has this big sort of, you know, redeveloped project there and his other restaurant, Lukshan, is there. And, like, that doesn't feel particularly smarmy. Um, Now, you know, Helms, it's this historic building. Um, Father's Office was in Santa Monica. It wasn't like it was over opened in like Echo Park or like some other space where people were acting like they were really like, I don't know, creating some sort of mystique of cool. Right. Um, it was always for like kind of rich people. Yeah. I mean, like I remember going to father's office when I was an assistant um, at a production company when I was like 22 and didn't have a lot of money. And it was like, I thought it was really cool. I wasn't very cool, you know, but I was like, well, I can go somewhere and have craft beer and I can't modify my burger. What? (laughs) Um, And that was like 2005. So, you know, it's not like that this doesn't always work. I think some of it's also, they're coming in from New York into LA. And I wonder if, you know, it's also this feeling of like, you know, these transplants coming in from New York to L.A. are often have a lot of money. You know, they're driving up prices in neighborhoods that are already pretty housing constricted. And then there's this feeling of like this fancy mall for the newer, even wealthier people arriving who want to have this L.A. lifestyle that is actually nothing like. I mean, it always has existed in Los Angeles, but it's always been in like shitty TV Los Angeles, not the Los Angeles that if you live here, you love. And what is the Roberta's, what is the Roberta's like there? Like Farley, are they trying to put out some sort of Brooklyn vibe? Uh, The space doesn't really allow the ability to have like a true kind of uh, gritty feel. So it ends up being this very beautiful, you know, California sunlit, wood-fired pizza, bright patio kind of place. But there's nothing about it that screams, you know, we came from Brooklyn and helped to change the dining landscape there. So Mm -hmm. instead, you know, it just ends up fitting in oddly with a bunch of other California-style restaurants that we've already excelled at, like a Jolina or a Juso over the years. And it becomes just one in a big pile of places that happen to do wood-fired pizzas and a bunch of vegetables on the side. To be real... It's delicious. Like we went. Oh, absolutely. Like yeah, that that's my next of, question. Like it's pretty good, though, right? Yeah, like that's the other kind of thing. I, <laughs> and you know, and I'll say, platform also recently added uh, a boba guys. Um, oh no! Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, whoever is their you know tenant consultant is an evil genius. Um, <laughs> I know. But like, honestly, of all those things, like uh, you know. Boba guys and the Robertas and I, I also hate in the wine bar, you know, has some good wine. It's again, very expensive. Um, like those are the two, my two kind of favorite 
tennis. Oh, and and but there's also the taco place. It's actually great. Um, yeah, really. What's the name of the taco place? Loki. I feel like everyone secretly yeah. loves Loki the most at Platform because it's not a brand. It's just delicious tacos. I agree. And I- right. So so with Platform, like it's good. You just hate yourself for liking it. <laughs> yes, correct. Well, I I I want to maybe to to put a button on this whole thing. Just get back to Megan's point about Father's Office really quickly too. You know, they're about to open a third location in a few months in downtown in the Arts District, and so we're not quite like platform is right in the middle where it's not like true Los Angeles anymore. It is transit friendly. It's got this older millennial vibe, but it's not quite the arts district where the new father's office is going about 60 yards away is where salt Bay is putting his restaurant. So there's like, places <laughs> in LA that are still very over. It's funny that, um, the other place that Roberta's is expanding to, uh, is the domino development in the waterfront of Williamsburg. And it's a very similar thing where you're sad that this exists, but also it's very nice. <laughs> it's just like, oh, there's a very nice new park there, and there's a very nice Danny Meyer taco place there, and there's a very nice Missy Robbins place there. It's just that's not what this was, and I feel bad for being here. But anyway, any other final final thoughts on the platform, guys, or platform? I just was going to say that, like, uh, you know, maybe it's all that sort of previous version of ourselves, aspirational dining, and maybe this is what we're all destined for. I think Megan brought up a really great point that this is this is the kind of package that you hate yourself for, but it's ultimately who you become. You know, I, I just was in Santa Fe, New Mexico last weekend, and that entire town feels like one single postcard. And you just go, well, maybe this is where all of us stop. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much, guys, for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you you so much for listening to our Los Angeles-themed episode of the Stay tuned for more times when we take our vacations and try to turn them into content. We, well, I tried and failed, and we've done a lot of studio work. We did it. Um, If we called, if we ended up calling this everything you need to know about the LA dining scene right now, uh, I hope you got enough information to justify that title. <laughs> Ooh, is that what you're thinking? I think so. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. You're the you're the titling master. Okay. Um, if you didn't, uh, don't judge us for it. You know, we're just trying to get the clicks here. Just trying to keep the lights on. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Um, we are going to talk about our yearly list, the essential 38 essential restaurants in America with our roving, ever-roving critic, Bill Addison. I don't think it's next week. I think it might be later this week. Whoa. Yeah. Unless I pop this one out tonight. What? (laughs) Wow, okay. Saturday? For a Saturday release? For a Friday night. Friday night release? Is that crazy? That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, seems crazy. All right, yeah, Monday. Monday you'll receive this. (laughs) This is the weirdest, most boring behind the scenes Please edit this out. Please. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up at the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a pure, crisper water. And guess what? They did. This is the kind of water that regular water gets jealous of. It's the water that refreshes like no other brand. Try it. Smartwater. Vapor distilled for purity. Electrolytes for taste.